coast as close as the mailbox on the web at mainboats.com. On the Wing, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., where you will hear the latest releases in folk, rock, world, jazz, and much more. Only on Community Radio, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. I am alone, but adored by a hundred thousand more than I said when you were And this is Community Radio. The time is just about one minute before 10 o'clock. Stay tuned for Wabanaki Windows. Welcome to Wabanaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Wabanaki Windows is a monthly show featuring Wabanaki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. Today we will be discussing the mascot issue with a focus on Wiscasset High School and the efforts of the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission to convince them to change the mascot name. My special guest today is Jamie Bissonette, Chair of the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Donna. Okay. And thank you for agreeing to, uh, to be here. Um, Jamie, could you just tell us uh, a little bit about the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission to start us off? The Maine Indian Tribal State Commission was formed as a, in part through the Maine Implementing Act. It's an intergovernmental body comprised of six representatives from the state and six representatives um, of three of the four tribes in the state of Maine, two Penobscot, two Maliseet, and two Passamaquoddy. Um, the Mi'kmaq tribal leadership does usually attend the meeting, but since they have a different agreement with the state, they, aren't, they were not part of the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission when it was formed in 1981. So they're a new uh, participant to the to the group. They are, they are. And the uh, and this uh, Maine Indian Tribal State Commission was a, a, a creature of the Maine Indian Land Claims the Settlement, Settlement Act, Act. Right. Uh, part of the Implementing Act uh, that the state put in place. Right. Okay, so we have uh, it's sort of a hybrid uh, tribal state agency. I, yeah, I think there were a lot. Not of agency. I'm sorry, but you know, like a, a commission. Or it's a, an intergovernmental yeah. body yeah. and. There were a lot of pieces that weren't settled um, in the Settlement Act. And so the idea was if a commission, a standing commission, under the governor's uh, administration would be formed, that the some of those details could be worked out. Oftentimes they're around uh, fish and wildlife, water, land, but uh, increasingly around political issues and issues of sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So the commission was sort of like a, uh, a, a body to come to a mutual, agreed-upon mm-hmm. uh, decision on gray areas that were questionable in the land claims. Right. Kind of like that, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, today, you know, we're here to talk about the, uh, uh, the mascot issue, and we're going to focus on Wiscasset High School. Now, we had a, a show not long ago on the mascot issue um, uh, 
just in general. And we mm-hmm. did we did touch upon Wiscasset, but you know, after that show, I thought, well, okay, I think this subject is is uh, covered fairly well, and uh, we won't have to revisit that. But after hearing uh, some of the things that have has happened in the Wiscasset situation, um, I really uh, I think that it's something that needs to be uh, looked at and put under some light. So I'm going to ask you to uh, first of all start by by you know telling us how you got involved with the mascot issue uh, to begin with. I think uh, around the time of your last program, uh, there was a statewide uh, uh, conference on the use of uh, offensive names and images as sporting mascots in the state of Maine. And uh, a lot of attention was drawn to the issue. Uh, a com- there are between seven and eight uh, schools, and I say between seven and eight, I, I've seen both numbers. I think there's a middle school that still uses uh, the name Warriors with uh, an image, a native image. Um, two still using the most offensive name, Redskins. And Mitzik was invited to participate in that conference. We did, um, and at that point, the commission tasked uh, the chair and the executive director with, uh, you know, ending the use of um, the these names and uh, the the images in the state of Maine. We decided to focus primarily on the two remaining schools, Wiscasset and Sanford, that are still using the term Redskins. Well, Wiscasset not any longer as of last week. Uh, we began with Wiscasset, um, feeling that we would it's an it was a new RSU and we would receive um, more welcome going there first rather than to Sanford, which is still run under an independent school board. Mm-hmm. I just I'm, I'm just wondering where uh, was this conference uh, located? Where did you? It travel? was in it was in Augusta. Uh, this was before my tenure. As chair, um, this was last spring. I okay. was, I was named to the chair position in July. Okay. Um, so this is work that I inherited. I see. And I, I take it very seriously. Um, and in September, at the first RSU twelve meeting, we requested time on their agenda, um, and they graciously gave us a, about twenty minutes to present what we felt they needed to know. And uh, so I brought down the Phipps Proclamation, which is the scalping ordinance against the Penobscot Nation. Um, and what to, what was in that ordinance? And, and do you remember the, the year that that was? Uh, I, yeah, I want to say, I, and I should have brought it with me, but it's in my office and I couldn't get to it at 6 o'clock this morning. Uh, I want to say um, 1644, or is it 1744? 1744. Okay. And the proclamation is really hard to read because it uh, assigns a, a monetary value to both the scalps and the bodies 
of Penobscot men, women, and children. Scalps and the bodies? And the bodies, yeah. Yeah. I've read that many times, and I've not... Yeah, it it offers a a certain amount of... um, Particularly for the men, their if their bodies were brought to Boston. Oh, that's right too. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And um, but what I understand is uh, very quickly the offer of bounty for the bodies uh, it fell, you know, just fell by the wayside because uh, Boston really didn't want to deal with Indian people. It was against the law, actually, for Indian people to be on the streets mm-hmm. of Boston. And so... That's right, and they just changed that law recently, if I recently, remember right. Yes. yeah. And, and along those lines, <clears throat> Massachusetts has never rescinded any of the scalping ordinances. There are three Micmac scalping ordinances, one Penobscot scalping ordinance, and a Wampanoag scalping ordinance still on the books in the state of Massachusetts. And so, uh, but I think the most disorienting piece to read is the bounty offered for the scalp of a child under the age of 12. Um, and when you, when you read that, you realize that this is, um, this was a mindset that is horrific. And the, the word, the term redskins comes directly from this period in time, because when the the bounty hunters would tur- would come in to turn their scalps into the um, either the uh, garrisoned uh, officers or in down to Boston at uh, the officials, they would say they'd ask a question: How many redskins do you have? Referring to the color of the skin at the end of the scalp and then they would be paid by the number of redskins that they had hmm. yeah i mean that's uh that is horrific and that's <laughs> that's that's genocide what's even more horrific um, too if you put it into context is a school teacher in boston would make about 150 pounds yeah. a year and the uh bounty on an adult male Penobscot man was 50 pounds. And at certain points, it increased up to 250 pounds. Wow. Under, you know, and during certain times. There was 100 years of um, actual war on the main frontier um, against the Penobscots and Abenaki people. Yeah. And uh, since we're on the historic piece of this, I mm-hmm. understand that... Uh, you um, have done some research on this subject. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I when I went down to Wiscasset, I, I went down and I committed ourselves to a um, a respectful, uh, open conversation. I went down to speak, but I also went down to listen. Okay, let me just interrupt you right there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's let's put the research piece in. Later, okay. I guess, after you explain uh, how things started, right. we'll do that. Yeah, because that's really when it comes mm. in. Okay. Um, so I, I made the presentation. I brought the Phipps Proclamation. I have a framed copy of it in my office um, as a reminder of what our ancestors survived. And, and when did this 
meeting take place? September. In September. I believe September 12th, I want to say. Of, of this, of this of year. last year, the of 2010. 2010. Yes, yeah, okay. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I explained uh, the s- significance of the Phipps Proclamation. Uh, I explain the uh, derivation of the word and why it is so offensive. I also explain something that I don't think very many people, uh, non-natives, understand, and that's that our history is never more than one generation away from us. Our stories are told to us by our grandparents or our parents in a very formulaic way, uh, oftentimes in the first person, exactly as it was told to them. And I have a story from my own life uh, where I, uh, my grandmother told me about her church in Udenag, uh, the St. Francis du Lac church, and how the soldiers came into that church and took um, the crucifix and the gold and the statues. And she described it in such detail. And her... Um, her shock and her pain was so very real to me. And I always assumed that happened when she was a child. And it wasn't until you know, I was in college that I realized she was relating something that happened in the 1700s. Mm. And, and what, what's your tribe? What's your? I'm Abenaki. My grandfather was from Missisqua and my grandmother from Odenek. Missisqua and Odenek is located uh, Vermont and Quebec. Okay, just because yeah. lots of people, including myself, are not mm-hmm. sure of that. Yeah, so. o- Odenag is uh, just near. It's in th- near Pierreville, Three Rivers, Canada, and um, Mrs. Qua is just north of Burlington, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so you've, you you're talking about your your. Uh, so you know, I explained yeah. that, and I explained that you you. There may be a temptation to dismiss this, to dismiss our request, to say this was a long time ago. That's not what it means today. But it is what it means you know, to us as Indian people. We have within ourselves you know, a historic memory. I would say even a genetic memory. It's funny because that, that reminds me, my, my niece, Rebecca mm-hmm. um, Sockbason, actually just got her PhD yesterday. Yay! <laughs> I am so <laughs> glad to hear and that. She's worked so hard on she that. She has. And, uh, she finally has it. But uh, some of her uh, her her research mm-hmm. was uh, in uh, in DNA memory. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I kind of equate that with uh, Elizabeth Bauman's um, uh, uh, thought as to um, soul wound, soul yeah. wound memory, and it's carried down through DNA and. Uh, so there are there are this research in that, and uh, it uh, yeah, I mean what you're saying is is uh, really uh, really true, and it's really very significant to yeah, especially to our people. There's an intergenerational trauma, and yeah. uh, we are the survivors of genocide, um, and yeah. so, I and some people say we weren't supposed to be here. It wasn't their plan for us to be here, but we are definitely supposed to be here. We are what tethers this earth. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, our our existence is very, very intertwined with the existence of this planet. So, I am curious. I don't want you to lose your train of thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but uh, when you first uh, spoke to 
in Wiscasset. Who did you speak to? The RSU 12 School Board, okay. um, which is a body of 17 um, people uh, representing the various uh, communities within the RSU district. And um, they had you know, the authority to make the decision. Okay. And uh, so I presented to them, uh, I, I have to say, as I watched the proclamation go around hand to hand, I could tell that I was on a ground, I'd taken them to a place they'd never knew existed. And a couple were outraged, immediately motioning to permanently desist from using the name. Even with a motion on the table, um, they, the, the conversation was closed. Um, uh, they didn't follow their own uh, rules of order. They did not want to make that decision that night. There was some conversation that night that opened uh, my eyes to what would eventually happen. Uh, one school board member was very angry. And um, he, he's... He said to, to us, um, uh, I can understand. I can understand we can't call, you know, the blacks Negroes anymore. You're here telling me we can't call Indians Redskins. What's next? We can't call the Japanese yellow? And I realized that we had really stepped into a place where uh, a kind of conversation that often is held out of earshot would be held right in the open. And I was kind of grateful for that because it's better, hard as it is to hear, it's better to know what you're walking into. And so I told him as much. I said, hard as it is for me to hear your words, I came here in honesty. And I came here uh, committed to a patient conversation and you've met me. You've given me your honesty. We have a long way to go. I do have to tell you that personally this took a huge toll mm, on I'm me. I'm sure because that remark was probably just the tip of the iceberg. It was. Mm -hmm. it, it was. And, uh, you know, um, immediately following that meeting, the student council at Wiscasset, and actually I, sh I should back up. As I was leaving, uh, I, I listened to a teacher who I would later come to know very well uh, speak with a student. And she asked the student what that student thought. And the student said, I always thought we were doing this to honor Native people. I never knew this history. I'm so upset tonight. Uh, I don't know what to think anymore. I wish I had never come. I never want to come back. And I mm. thought, oh. That's pretty traumatic. It That's was traumatic yeah. for this young young woman. And it, it was a reason I didn't bring any of our young people down mm -hmm. because I didn't know what I would be bringing my children into, our Native children into. Mm -hmm. um, and I but, don't think but, but there are Native students in that school. There are three. Mm. Yeah. Three Native students in that school. And uh, they took a, a lot of the um, 
they took a lot of this conversation to heart. And mm. eventually, a couple of them, two of them are in student council. Eventually, the student council requested to come up to Sabayak. Um, and Sabayak is, is Pleasant Point, Pleasant Point, Passamaquoddy um, Indian Reservation. Uh, because Denise Altivator runs the Wabanaki program. Uh, she has a group of Washington County youth, Native and non-Native, working on interracial issues and issues of racism. Mm -hmm. and, and who sponsors that program? The American Friends Service Committee. Okay. And uh, they asked that they could come up kid to kid and talk about this issue. And we said, why don't you come up? Let's just get to know each other. Uh, we we may talk about the issue a little bit, but it's more important to see, for these young people to see each other as human beings. Sure. And uh, and so they did come up. They spent a day. It was a wonderful day. Um, I I think they didn't expect um, what they experienced, and we did create relationships. And I see that um, that day as a critical point. Because if it were left up to those young people, they would have figured out a way to respect each other. Um, and those same young people did sit on the committee and were a balancing force for on, the adults. On, on what committee is are you? There was a, a committee, f eventually, uh, the RSU 12 school board elected to form a, a mascot committee to look at the issue and make a recommendation back to the school board. Um, Initially, the word was that the that committee would be entirely students. Um, we objected to that because this isn't this isn't a decision that um, should be placed on the on the plate of very young people. Um, this is an adult decision, and eventually they. Uh, formed th that committee with with student representation, but quite a bit of adult representation and Wabanaki rep representation. Denise Altivator was named to the mascot committee, and Paul Basulka, um, the former chair of MITSIC, was mm -hmm. in invited to join that committee. And that committee met twice. Um, and then the RSU... 12 school board took the decision back. But in the meantime, there was a public dialogue going on uh, that was increasingly dangerous. Um, at one point, a, uh, a ballot box. Now, this was during the November election. November elections. A ballot box was put at the polling station in Wiscasset, and on the box was you know, the in, the in iconic Indian headdress. The, the, the logo of the school? Right. Uh, yeah. And um, they asked people to vote, you know, straw poll on whether or not to... Sort of when they're leaving the polls, right. that's when they catch them and ask yeah. for their opinion. Right. Yeah. And so uh, at the bottom of that box, there was a death threat. Uh, it hmm. said, uh, and it was read in a public meeting, read out loud. The people who want to change this should be shot. And uh, talk about a climate of civility. I mean, you know, when mm -hmm. you when you look at put that in context of what's been happening in this country, and especially, um, you know, last week, you know, talking of 
shooting mm-hmm. people because right. they don't agree. I mean, that's it's outrageous. I, I took it very seriously. Um, I took it very seriously for a number of reasons. I, um, it is serious. It's very serious. It's very serious. Secondly, it involved young people. I mean, some of these young people had been vocal in their, um, there we go, in their uh, belief that this should change. And it involved teachers, and it involved a school, and um, you know, it involved the Maine Indian Tribal State Commission. And during the um, this whole conversation, Native people were being portrayed as people from away. Now, what do you know? People from away. Yeah. Where did that come from? That phrase. It came from uh, Wiscasset community members. Um, during a public meeting? During, mm-hmm. during public meetings and in letters to the editor and, um, yeah, both of those venues. Okay. Um, and that was hard to hear because, you know, we are the original people. Absolutely. Um, you know, here. Uh, but it, it, again, it reminded us that there was a, a we needed to um, take a very long journey. We thought it was going to be a very long journey. Um, we met with the superintendent. Okay, back up. Let's back up just a little bit about the the threat that was mm-hmm. in the in the box. Um, what happened when that? You said that was read. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was people's responses to that? Um, and, and where was it? Was it read in Wiscasset at a public meeting? And yeah, and, yeah. and what were the what were the responses? I, I think. I think there were a number of people that were shocked. Um, there was no immediate condemnation, and that's what concerned me. There was no immediate condemnation of the words. Uh, it took us, uh, Mitzik, doing that. Um, you know... How, how, did you, how did you feel when you, when you heard that? being read in public and saw the um, really, you know, not very concerned reactions. That was one of the time, that was a time when I I became very emotional. I still become emotional Mm -hmm. when I think about it because, um, you know, I drive those roads at night alone uh, and a racism is alive and well in sure. the state of Maine. And when something is said and like that and not challenged, a permission is given. And so, uh, you know, it, it created a lot of anxiety, but it also created a huge question in my mind, Donna. It made me say there is something very deep at work here. Right. And... and was this comment, uh, was the Attorney General's office made aware yes. of this? Yes, they were. Um, okay, and what, were their, what was their response to this? Uh, that we should notify the local police departments in the areas where we live, and unless an attempt was made, they would note it. And so. <laughs> they would. Okay. <laughs> so. Right. Um, that is not the current attorney general. Uh, no, yeah. it is not. <laughs> and, 
And so, uh, but this made me realize that there had to be something, there was something I wasn't getting, that it could so quickly go so deep to uh, an identity issue with this community. So I began to do uh, a lot of research. I think probably to busy my mind. Had a, and before uh -huh. you go into that, let me just okay. uh, do this. Uh, you're listening to WERU, Wabanaki Windows. I'm your host, Donna Loring. Our topic today is uh, mascots, and the, we're focusing on the uh, situation in the town of Wiscasset. Um, the phone number, you, you're welcome to call. Uh, the phone number is 1-866-625-9378. Um, again, it's 1-866-625-9378. Okay. Your research piece now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I found reference to this tiny article by Robert Francis Siebold, and the title of the article was Hunting Indians in Massachusetts, a Scouting Journal of 1758. Um, but I couldn't get my hands on it because I don't have the right... Hunt, hunting Indians in Massachusetts? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't Massachusetts, it was Maine. Because yes, Maine, Maine was Maine part was of Massachusetts at that, that time, yes. Time. Okay. And so uh, I enlisted James Francis, the Penobscot uh, tribal yes. historian, and I said, have you heard of this? And he goes, no. And I said, can I send it to you? Because I can't get it. It's on JSTOR. And he goes, I can get it. I said, I know you can. <laughs> and, and so I, uh, I sent it to him. He goes, you want it? He says, it's really short. Do you want it? And they sent it to me. I, I want to read the first paragraph of this, and um, I think that the language in it will absolutely shock you. Um, in 1757, the Great and General Court of Massachusetts made a new resolution to rid the colony of the Indian enemy. The bounty on scalps was increased from 250 pounds to 300 pounds, a sum likely to inspire the needy as well as the adventurous. Scalping hunting was not only a sporting pastime, it was a profitable business. Wow. The statute which follows will serve as an introduction to an interesting first an interesting first hand account of a scouting trip to quote the eastward. And what follows is a diary. A diary that was found with pirate booty in um, the 1930s. Oh. And uh, it was it's a, a pirate captain who decided just to take a little trip uh, up to Maine when the uh, bounty was increased to 300 pounds. Well, I imagine that that kind of money would attract lots of bounty hunters. Yeah, yes. and uh, this this other um, article that I, I found cites, uh, which I'll leave with you, Donna, okay. uh, cites the population numbers of men in um, Native communities in at around this time, uh, around 1750. And um, I think the, the largest community was the community at Indian Island, and there were only 60 men left there. Wow. And, and I just I take a moment to internalize that because some of these communities had 12, 11. And just, 
I spoke with uh, Donald Soctoma about this and mm-hmm. asked him if he'd done research, and he said he can't. It's too painful. That's and you know that's the that's the problem is people cannot go mm-hmm. there. They cannot talk about this, but you know it's something that needs to have some light shown on it. Mm-hmm. Needs to be talked about. Uh, it, it's part of healing, mm-hmm. and it's part of healing the spirit, but it's also part of the majority culture knowing and accepting what mm-hmm. happened and then actually addressing that. And, mm-hmm. I- and I th- when I think of that, you know, I think of the Holocaust mm-hmm. and, and the, the genocide that, uh, that the Germans perpetrated on the, on the Jews. And, you know, that was after mm-hmm. what happened to the tribal people, to the indigenous people of this country. And our story has yet to be told. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that you've, you've researched that. So keep it, on. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, you know, it was, this is hard, hard, hard work. And I, by mid-December, I was really um, exhausted. Uh, th- but this uh, scouting journal of 1758 is, is um, important to look at because what it describes was important for me to look at because what it brought to mind for me um, it describes this captain coming up to Maine and registering as a bounty hunter because you had to register. You couldn't just go in and bring out a scalp. You had to register first and then go it's in. It's kind of like what they do now for hunting season. Yes, exactly. Yes. exactly. But you register with the garrison. And where was the garrison stationed? Tell me. Was Cassett. And where were the bounties paid? Was Cassett. And who signed the bounties? Waldo of Waldo County. Wow. Um, That's quite a... It's deep. Quite a history there. It's deep. And what this man writes is a story about it. You know, you can feel in his diary his adrenaline. You know, he's going into the woods and he sees moccasin prints and... He sees, uh, you know, a fire. He sees smoke from a fire, but it's getting late in the day, so he knows he's not going to be able to come upon these Indians. And so, you know, the next morning he gets up and he he comes upon three, two Native men and a Frenchman. They were hunting, just out hunting for their family, and one of them lost their life that day. Um, And the others fought with him, and he drops the scalp. He goes back and he says, but I had it. And they said, you have to produce it. So he goes back looking for the scalp. And he makes a remark in his journey, journal when he finds it. He finds it on the ground that uh, he found the scalp, but the body was no longer there. And, uh, you know, like, like that surprised him that the hunters would take this body and bury it with dignity. And so um, th- this is a, I, I, it's an important piece. Yeah. Important I mean, piece. I, and I think that it, it, it shows, and it, and it shows that the, uh, the Native people were looked at as animals, mm-hmm. animals to be hunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a caller. Uh, could you give me your first name and where are you from? Yeah, hi, my name's Scott. I'm Scott. Oh, okay, Scott. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know, um, you know, I'm a European-American, and I, I find the historic injustices... Can you speak a little louder, Scott? Yeah, I find the historic injustices, um, you know, very disturbing, and the current treatment of, uh, of Native American Indian people. 
And uh, I was just wondering, um, what could an average person like myself who is concerned about this um, do, you know, without being condescending, that would be uh, helpful and appreciated? And I'll take my answer off the air. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think, you know, I get that. I, I, I teach a, a tribal state relations class, and I get that question a lot. And what the average person can do is learn about Native issues and support us. When there's a, a political question or, or a situation, um, you know, find out, you know, what it's all about, what the, what the tribes think of it, and, uh, and, and support us, and support us uh, in, in, uh, in everyday uh, situations. And uh, I'm going to ask... Uh, ask uh, um, Jamie, what, what, uh, what do you think? Well, I, I want to stay on the issue here and uh, let the caller and everyone listening know that the Maine Indian uh, Tribal State Commission, along with um, the Penobscot representative, Wayne Mitchell, have introduced a bill that would forever ban the use of uh, offensive names and native images as mascots in the state of Maine. Um, we don't know whether that bill will ever even reach the point See the where light it of sees, day. I, gets, yeah, I understand that the, that, the, uh, that the GOP uh, caucus uh, mm -hmm. will not support that bill. Right. Uh, caller, uh, did you give me your first name and where you're from? Hi, this is Gray from Hancock. Uh, thanks a lot for the show. This is really, really good. I'm glad to hear this issue is being dealt with. Uh, the remark by the, uh, I believe it was, you said it was a school board member about uh, not being able to <coughs> use uh, terms about other races, uh, brought to mind the, the fact that um, there's a movement in those who study people to kind of do revise or even do away with the whole study of races mm -hmm. which is kind of the overshadowing umbrella intellectual umbrella that drives this kind of discrimination and basically our study of races is is one of those 19th century pseudosciences like phrenology and physiognomy and and stuff that had very little actual basis but was whipped up into uh uh, a fancy concoction that appeared to be have a lot of scientific basis and actually if you if you took the human population as a whole and analyzed it um, there would be less variation among human beings all the races together than there is among an, a population of robins in any particular county in this state in the summertime and uh, it's it's totally blown out of proportion, and this whole thing about looking at people as as uh, just as a member of a race is part of our problem here. Um, and we have to find a way to celebrate our heritage and our culture, cultural as well as genetic, without getting into this kind of prejudice and stuff that you get. When you when you pay too much attention to the differences between people, and this might be some of the stuff that's driving these uh, mascot names and things, and I, I wonder if anybody's uh, approached uh, the problem from this point of view. And I'll hang up and listen to you on the air. Thanks so much. 
Sure. I mean, I, I, and I agree. I, I think that, you know, we're all human, and we all need to accept each other as human. Uh, but we do have a history, and, and that history uh, is not pretty. And uh, not everybody feels and not everybody acts and respects each other as human beings. And we really have to stand up and say, we're human. Um, we're here. And, and don't treat us like animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, and I think this story is very important. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask uh, Jamie to continue uh, what mm -hmm. you were just saying. And the other piece that I found that I, I feel is, uh, and just, as, just quickly re to reference the, the caller's words, I think that's what the young people found when they met with each other, uh, that they had much more in common than, uh, than they were different. And after getting to know each other, it was far harder mm. to disrespect. Absolutely. And so um, there's, uh, in 1749, uh, something happened in Wiscasset that is known as the Wiscasset Incident. Um, it was at the conclusion of what the British know as the Dummer's War, and what we know is the Greylock War. Um, it was after the robbery of the church uh, in Canada, and the Abenaki fought back for a period of, of years. Um, some say um, cumulatively around 15 years. After peace, and I put quotes around that, was mm -hmm. established, uh, the, the garrisoned forces in Wiscasset, uh, the garrisoned army of Wiscasset, created a, a kind of a springtime gathering where the chiefs of the Wabanaki communities would come down to Wiscasset and uh, meet with the army and settle debts. And by debts, I mean like a... Uh, uh, a person might accuse a native person of taking a cow or a sheep or the native people might have had hunting done on their land or have the fish run blocked or whatever. So those things would be dealt with at that time. So all of the chiefs would travel to Wiscasset. And in 1749, a, um, two uh, chiefs of very high standing were staying with the local chief of the Norwich people. And uh, a, three, three um, townspeople broke into the home, murdered one of the chiefs, and badly beat the other, took the body of the murdered chief and stuffed it under the ice in the river. And the magistrate wondered whether uh, justice could ever be um, brought to bear on this because it was colonists who were murdering an Indian. That incident spawned another nine years of conflict because this is the murder of a chief. Yeah. Uh, no one was found guilty of his murder. You know, all were pardoned, despite the attempts to hold a trial three or four times. The local people in Wiscasset actually liberated the three men. They broke the jail down, got them out of jail for because they had done nothing, quote, wrong. Um, 
In the ensuing 12 years, there was another 12 murders of Penobscot and Abenaki leaders. And so this is like a low-intensity warfare. Um, so th when I ask this question, there's, there's a depth here. There's a depth of memory on the part of Wiscasset residents of, uh, you know, this period too, I'm sure. So I sat down with the leadership of the RSU 12 school board, uh, Thomas Birmingham, Greg Potter, the superintendent, and Matt Carlson, the... Um, principal of Wiscasset, and we talked for three hours. We, I answered all of their questions. I listened to all of their comments. And we left that meeting, and from that point on, um, those three men set a course of changing the discourse. And um, they made it very clear that we were not people from away. So that discourse was... Uh, actually, communication, education equals understanding. Mm -hmm. yep. Exactly. Yep. And once, uh, w once it became understood who we were, uh, what our shared history was, why we were there, and why it was important. Uh, for example, not very many people, uh, they, they just don't understand why it's so upsetting to see someone in a um, kind of a caricature of a Native American, um, even if that caricature is very well crafted, and explaining to them how highly personal and spiritual and significant our regalia is, an individual, you know, and this comes from fasts, dreams, um, your, you know, our colors, our spirit names. You, you can't even begin to create your regalia until you know your spirit name, the name you had before you decided to come to your parents. You know, and a medicine man will give that to you. And then, so they didn't understand that this is not a costume. Yeah. This I mean, is from, 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 a, from a, a history of, of dehumanizing mm -hmm. um, and, and, and treating Mm -hmm. uh, Native people uh, like animals. Of course, they they didn't understand no, that. No, they didn't, and they didn't know that. Uh, you know, particularly, well, truly, uh, I guess uh, you know, universally. But if you understand your culture, I can look at your regalia and know a lot about you. Uh, every single one of those double curves has specific meaning, and when I see them on your regalia, I know that maybe you are a conflict resolver. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you are a learned person, but you know th th there's a different symbol for each one of those things. And then I explained to them that these these headdresses that they were using had a really profound significance. They aren't worn all the time, and uh, the the large headdresses that they were depicting might be worn once in a decade. They might they would be worn for a very special occasion. Certain ones are worn only at funerals when a person of high stature has passed. And they, they don't know what they're communicating when they put on, you know, these, mm -hmm. these headdresses. Um, they don't know what they're saying or what they're reminding us of. And they but, how, but, you know, how, how, how could, could they? they? How could how they? Could they, they were I, never taught that. 
Right. That's what I said to you, said to them, how could you? But I'm telling you this so that you understand why this is so important to so many of us. And um, to their credit, they got it and they acted on it. Um, And this month, um, I guess two two weeks from Thursday now, uh, they they made the decision that nowhere in RSU-12 would the name Redskins or any Native American mascots ever be used again. That's a okay. that's a fantastic uh, yeah. that's a fantastic decision, and and you know it's a it's a step. It, it's a gi- actually it's a giant step. It's a step toward you, healing. Absolutely, yeah. and I think you know it's not just a step towards healing for us, mm-hmm. but yeah. for them as yes. well. Exactly, it is it is a shared, common, tragic history, yeah. and um, given that there are a number of uh, non-native families that can trace their ancestry to this time, this period in time, you know they they have. They, we need to walk on this path together. Sure. And I, and what I told them is that I was there as in commitment to create the capacity for our children to walk together in peace and in balance. And uh, and I think understanding this issue um, key. Key. is key. It's, it's key. It's key. To move forward and, mm-hmm. and you know to respect each other. And right. Yeah, uh, there's a caller on the line. Could you give me your first name and where you're from? Caller? Uh, thanks so much for the, um, for the show. Um, I better get away from the radio. Um, it's, uh, it's really been opening my eyes to something which is I guess I'd characterize it as, and you think you've been talking about this, is the, the difference between uh, ignorance and prejudice. And uh, I confess that when I simple-mindedly thought of this issue of the, uh, the more or less crusade against the use of native mascot symbols in the school uh, teams, uh, I had traces of a thought that this was uh, an overblown concern. Myself, you know, an educated listener to WERU, I had traces of this. Uh, and so I'm, I'm guilty along with many others. Uh, but um, I think that it's, it's important to realize that in the, in the minds of, of a lot of us out here who don't know our history, who are more or less ashamed, I would say, to know our history, should we know it, as it's just been explained here, uh, we, we like the notion of Native. Uh, uh, for uh, Maybe for a high school basketball player to think that he was allying himself with uh, Native antecedents might have given him strength and energy. And there is that aspect of uh, the choosing of a, of a, of a symbol uh, in, in people's minds. Uh, so I don't want to diss it outright as 
a gesture of uh, dismissal, uh, because there, I think there is an element of uh, wannabe in there, just like the guy who came to the uh, to the sweat lodge uh, ceremony, brought his camera, and was kicked out, and felt so wronged uh, for being kicked out. You know, it's it's a fine thing the difference between ignorance and prejudice. And I, I'm so supportive of the work you were able to do with the kids uh, in the in the classes by making them aware of what Native is. Because I think at root, we don't want to be prejudiced against each other. We want to understand each other. and But we have to look so hard at our history. And I think it's so important for us to be able to see that history, who... Governor Waldo was, what he signed into proclamation, what things were like back then, it's really important for us to know that. And we don't learn that in 10th grade history, by and large. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know we don't learn that. Uh, and that's what really needs to be changed. But, you know, working at the mascots is, you know, maybe a little crack in the, in the facade, in this huge facade of thinking we know who we are. Absolutely, and uh, and that's very important. And uh, and thank you for calling. You know, it, oh, go ahead. Oh, you know, uh, there's um, there's a. We went to Sanford to open up the conversation. We met with about forty students uh, and maybe five or six teachers, and um, there was a civil rights team, and then some of the very you know. Um, you know, some of the athletes who felt that keeping the name Redskins was really important, and the principal and, and teachers. But one of the students asked a question, uh, you know, like, why we only mean respect. Why, why can't we do this? Why can't, if we're respectful, why can't we do it? And I explained to her that, you know, uh, and why can't we use these images? That, the, that it's about our owning how we are represented. Um, we are our people. And we are the ones that have, um, we're the only ones that have the authority to determine how people represent us. And we are not meant to sell fuel. We are not meant to sell cigarettes. We are or Jeeps. <laughs> or Jeeps or any of the other things that our images are used for. But it is very much about ownership. And so about five minutes later this the same young woman raised her hand and I, I was trying to, you know, call on kids that hadn't spoken and she goes, No, no, I know what you're trying I know you're not you know, I'm not gonna say I just need to say this. And I said, Okay. And she goes, I get it. When you said ownership, it clicked a bell. I get it. She said, I understand. I wouldn't want anybody to have the to be able to own how I was represented. I get it. I'm with you. That's great. And so um, It's an aha uh -huh moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess uh, I think that in our in our celebration here, I the I wanted to say the vote in Wiscasset was nine to six. Um, and I, I want to recognize um, the leadership in the school board, uh, the school board members that uh, 
You just refuse to let this sit and languish for another year. Um, and their intention, because their intention was to honor us. Um, and they did. In making that decision, uh, James Francis said, making these decisions is the highest, is a high form of honor you can give us. Um, and I think that, you know, he was right on point with that. So the decision was made by the RSU 12 school board. The RSU. Do you happen to know um, what that encompasses? What area? It's a snaky little, it's a school board that's long and thin and begins a little bit outside of Augusta and wends itself all the way down to Wiscasset. Mm. It's a... It's kind of a, it was carved out of a couple of different um, school board yeah. areas. So the, uh, the, um, there was the RSU mm-hmm. board uh, actually took that decision away from the, the local right. the school ma- board? The mascot committee. committee. There okay. is no local school board. Okay, the mascot committee. The mascot committee. They retasked the mascot committee with uh, choosing a new mascot. And then that... They did that when last week or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, week and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so that was a big, a big event. Um, I think it. I, I think there's processing that needs to take place, and I know the principal is very involved in doing that with the students. The next day, 75 out of about 400 young people uh, walked out of school. In protest. In protest. Um, mm. For a period of a half, a half an hour, they walked out from quarter of nine till quarter after nine, and then came in back in and went about their business. Mm-hmm. But, the, I mean, the, again, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. underneath all of that, mm-hmm. and there's still a lot of work uh, to lot. do. And, and, and I think that Wiscasset is um, probably not the only no. uh, town or village that feels that way. But but the um, but they have shown the rest of the state. Uh, they've modeled for the rest of the state how to handle a request, uh, a, a request that's brought to them respectfully. Yes, and and, and the RSU uh, board has has handled that uh, had handled that well. Um, but there, you know, I'm sure there's still mm-hmm. conversations to be had. And absolutely, uh, <laughs> absolutely, and then uh, probably for a very long time. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Um, okay, so with that, uh, we will end, uh, end the show. And uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Donna Loring, and you've been listening to Wabanaki Windows. The music for our show is by Ralph Richter, a track called Little Eagles from his new CD, Dreamwalk. I want to thank my guest, Jamie Bissonette, uh, my, the engineer, Joe Mann, and uh, please join us next month for another Wabanaki Windows.